0: Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Bruce Van is my guest today. Bruce decided to buy a business after a rough few years in his professional life. And acquisition entrepreneurship ended up being his path out. We talk about Bruce's search using BizBuySell why he started then stopped doing proprietary outreach how he was able to get a great price on the business he acquired and what his transition was like going from unemployed to the owner of a business with 25 employees i think bruce nailed his acquisition see if you agree here is bruce van of luxout stage curtains bruce van thank you for joining me today on acquiring minds thank you for having me will you acquired luxout stage curtains a manufacturer of stage curtains. So this isn't residential curtains over windows in your home, but the really tall, heavy fabric ones that open and close during performances at theaters and churches and schools, wherever you find stages. So one of those really niche businesses that probably you probably weren't even aware of before you saw the business for sale. At least I, I wasn't until I reached out to you. So you bought it two years ago, two years ago, this coming February. And I know from our pre-call that things are, are going well. So this is a really cool story. Um, and let's, let's get right into it. Start us off with a quick background on you, Bruce. So take us up, give us all your relevant background, taking us right up to that decision to go out and buy a business.
1: Sure, sure. So um, I went to business school, but prior to business school, I got a degree in uh, economics and worked for GEICO in the product management uh, role. I liked that role, but I wasn't going to make much money there. It's just kind of the nature of the business structure or the business model of GEICO. It's always about being the low uh, cost provider. So I wanted to go find something else, even though I love my experiences. Went to business school at Darden, um, loved it. It was one of the, probably the best two years of my life. And I got a lot of exposure to a bunch of things. And that was where I learned that just like you can go and buy a house with a note, you can go and buy a business with a note um the thought started and sort of ended there um i went to go work for an oil and gas company um uh and it was a the role that i was in was was good it was sort of like a cfo role of a small division um but mm-hmm. the culture of the company didn't really work for me um i just held my breath saved my money invested it over time um they had a, a nice 401k match and that capital became useful later on when it was came time to buy my business uh, for the way that I structured my purchase. Um, but I left there at, 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 exactly three years, uh, to the day and, uh, then didn't, didn't really know what I was going to do. Kind of floundered around, tried to start a few businesses from scratch. None of them picked off. I mean, I, I like took off. Um, and so I ended up working a couple of odd jobs until I started to beat the bushes of my, um, my, um, uh, my network after losing my third job. Um, uh, which I'd never lost a job in my life prior to this season of my life. But for whatever reason, those four years, I'd lost three jobs in four years. Um, I started to beat the bushes of my network and somebody um, said, hey, Bruce, you ever thought about doing a search fund? I was like, huh. Yeah, well, I only had one case my entire time at Darden on a search fund. Looked into it, uh, had a good feeling about it. um, Had uh, actually even had a dream about it, um, which... And and that gave me even more uh, sort of made me feel even better about going forward with this path. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. then for the next um, 15 or so months, I just beat the bushes of um, I I just sort of dove right in to searching for something to buy. And fortunately, I bought a really, really good uh, small business and I didn't even have to use any outside capital uh, to do it. That was the part that really surprised me.
0: There's there's a lot here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna um, pick apart some of the, some of your story here. So first of all, Darden is UVA University of Virginia's business school. This is important to me because I'm I'm a Virginia guy like you. you you're from Hampton, Virginia. Yep. You went to to undergrad in Richmond, Virginia at VCU. Also, you no, know, many many of my friends growing up went to VCU. Then you went to UVA for business school, and you are in uh, Richmond now. So the business that you found is in Richmond, Virginia, correct?
1: Right. It's like maybe it's walking distance from the grocery store I went to when I was a student. It's funny how <laughs> that close,
0: but yeah. And in fact, your search had you had looked at buying businesses all over the place, so that yeah. you you you. Fortunately, I mean, I assume you wanted to stay yeah. um, near home. Found one near home, but you you were totally open to going anywhere, and and yet yet you find this one yeah. with at, at the the convenience store just down the, the down the block from where you were as a, as a student.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the now uh, losing the three jobs over those four years. So you had been a successful guy. You'd never lost a job before that, but you just hit this rough patch yeah. in, your, in your professional life. And I, I imagine that that got you down. So just yeah. t- talk to me a little bit about your headspace during that time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think it was really just a bad, I'll, I'll talk about my headspace and the, how I got into that rut in my career. So yeah. Post business school, I don't think that you really understand this when you're in business school, but when you come out, it's like when you're in business school, immediately when you come out, you can basically do anything in the business world. But once you pick that thing that you're going to do, you're kind of pigeonholed to that thing. And so Mm -hmm. I got pigeonholed into just doing accounting work. And I'm I can understand accounting, but I'm not a great fit for accounting. I don't really care about controls. I'm not a corporate policeman. All those things that make a good auditor accountant controller um i was more like a not to diminish one type of person versus another but it was more like it was a bad fit for me it was like a putting an eagle among ducks right everybody (laughs) they can all fly together and and whatnot but as soon as it's time to go into the water the eagle tries to go into the water it's going to be it's going to look crazy and then if the 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 eagle tries to go fly too high then the ducks are going to look at the eagle like they're crazy So it was a bad fit for me. And I kept getting these These were the only jobs I could find. But in my second when I lost my second job, um, that one really hit me home. And I and I and I really was actually suicidal at one point because I thought, man, I did all this stuff the right way, went to the right Mm -hmm. school, especially as a black man in this country. uh, You don't want any strikes against you because you really basically have to be perfect in order to get anywhere close to what what, what you're warranted um, Mm -hmm. to get. Um, So it was, it was rough, but um, fortunately, the grace of God, I pulled through uh, definitely with the support of my family. um, But it was, it was a very, very rough and and low patch for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, so do you think that the decision to buy a business and and essentially be an entrepreneur, be your own boss, uh, that, that must have, I mean, was that something that you saw for yourself before this rough patch or do you think that you saw it as a path out of the rough patch or a combination of the bo- of, of the, both of those or what?
1: Yeah, good question. It's it, it was both. I mean, actually in my Darden essays I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't think it was going to be possible and at that time I only knew about starting something from scratch and changing the world like making the next Facebook or something goofy like that. Right. Uh, but uh so it was always in my my heart to do that. It just I just didn't know how I was going to get back there. And a matter of fact, actually, when I was in high school, um, instead of going to get a job, what I did was I sold candy and drinks in high school and made a little profit every day enough so that I didn't have to go and work um, and I could mm-hmm. feed my fast food habits and, and, and clothes <laughs> and stuff like that. So once I had a taste of it back then, it was just a matter of figuring out how to get back to it um, in my adult life. And it took a while, but I got here.
0: So this this person that told you about search funds or said, have you considered a search fund while you were out there kind of figuring out what was next? This was just a colleague of yours, somebody in your
1: network. Uh, This was someone in he wasn't even really in my network. So I I beat the bushes of the Darden network. And I talked to a gentleman who knew the CEO of Buzz Franchise Brands. And he said, hey, why don't you reach out to Kevin? That that was his his name is Kevin. Um, And while I'm in Kevin's office, we're just talking because I was looking for work that was in Tidewater and there wasn't there's, there aren't many like highfalutin high finance jobs basically out there. Um, mm-hmm. and the thing that he, that's when he, at the end of the conversation, he said that he said, oh, I might be able to put you in contact with somebody. And, and that's, um, that sort of just began the whole thing for me, uh, from there.
0: And so you, this person mentioned search fund to you. You remember that from your Darden days, a case study at Darden, but what you proceed to do is not a, not the traditional search fund where yeah. you raise money and with, with the, the whole that whole structure and model you just were going to buy a business for yourself. you had saved up you're really good with money you'd saved up all this money over the, over the course of these years, and so you had enough money to make a down payment uh, or the yep. the 10 to 20% and bring on the SBA loan as the, as the other piece. Um, So, so tell, so so tell me more about the search. Are you, uh, you, you had said to me in our pre-call that you looked at, at businesses all over the country, where you just, were you looking for a particular type of business? If you weren't geographically constrained, obviously we're all financially constrained. You had that constraint, but what other constraints did you have?
1: Uh, I, I didn't care about the industry. I didn't really care that much about where it was. I just cared that I could find something one that I knew I could scale and, and wrap my head around. I wanted something that mm-hmm. I could not. I felt like I couldn't mess up um, mm-hmm. with my highfalutin uh, uh, MBA ideas because <laughs> we all mm-hmm. have them and, and think that we we know what we're talking about. And then the market gives you a sense of a slap in the face and says, "No, this is what I really want." Um, and then I wanted something that I could get at, at an acceptable multiple. Right? I didn't want to overpay. I think if I, so. For those three things. They they were very important to me, um, in my in my search, and um, I think they, they they suited me pretty well um, when it came time to have the end result.
0: And so, did you? Were you just looking at biz buy sell, or did you reach out to brokers around the country, or what? What, what were the actual mechanics of your search?
1: Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I kept a I I didn't have a um, a CRM system like as like some searchers have today and I, yeah. I I applaud those who who do that I wasn't that sophisticated all I did was put things into uh, a spreadsheet uh matter of fact it wasn't even a, a word I mean a Microsoft spreadsheet I had Google uh, Google sheets of uh <laughs> of, of things just because I was that cheap and not not really, even
0: excel man
1: I even using excel, google like sheets <laughs> no so uh but but I put everything in the spreadsheet so I would wake up every morning um and my now wife, she was my girlfriend back then. She said, "Oh my gosh, you don't have a job, but you are like working, outworking everybody I know with the way that you're you're searching." But I would wake up every morning, check the listings, um, inquire about things, anything that looked. Check the listings,
0: meaning meaning biz buy sell or s- stuff in your inbox. Brokers since you
1: s- had sent you stuff in your inbox or what? Bro- brokers sent me things in the in in my inbox, but I mean I feel like if you want a really good deal, you you have to search it out and beat everybody else to it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just the, the nature of things like fortune favors the bold. And one thing that I have is that I can be bold enough to like really knock on doors everywhere and beat everybody mm-hmm. else to the chase. Um, so that's basically what I did. I, I looked like through biz by sell and anything that looked interesting, I would introduce myself uh, and I would stick stay up with brokers because, you know, you have some brokers that are very responsive and you have other brokers mm-hmm. that are not responsive at all. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's just a matter of knocking on that door. So you can there's a sign in here. I won't show it and pull it down, but I have it in my office that says persistence. And it's a Calvin mm-hmm. uh Coolidge uh quote because if there's one thing I absolutely believe in is being persistent. And this this role is actually very or or doing search, if you are a persistent person, it doesn't really matter how smart you are per se. You have to have a certain level of it. But beyond that, you just have to be extremely persistent in executing um and 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 keeping your deal flow up. So that's my story, and i I stuck to it I probably- I don't know how many businesses I looked at, but my guess is it was in in the hundreds at least per month, probably in the thousands uh most of them uh it's just like dating you'd swipe left on, but every so often you find something that's a good maybe and you pursue that thing until you get all the information that you have and then you make an offer and mm-hmm. that's basically what i did
0: i i uh it, using uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but using biz by sell f- primarily for your deal flow. And, yep. the, and the reason I'm interested in that is just because, you know, you hear people um, say you got to get off biz by sell, you got to do proprietary search, and then you don't hear other Others, of course, say the proprietary search is a huge amount of effort without a lot of uh, response. Um, and, you know, we're all on BizBuySell anyway. I mean, it's a very alluring website. With I mean, I'm, I'm constantly checking it anyway. Um, but um, it, anyway, so I'm always interested to hear from successful searchers who use BizBuySell pretty much exclusively and did, in fact, buy a business from the
1: site. Well, to, let me add a caveat to that. I started out with the proprietary search, but what I found with the proprietary search was... Deals are much harder to come by. And then most sellers, they just think their baby is far more valuable than it actually is. In my experience, um, they may want eight times EBITDA for a business that is shrinking. And that was one of my experiences. And I was like, I can't offer you that because there's no way I can make any money on this deal. I probably can't even get a bank to accept the terms of financing this at this this multiple. Like, you got to have some give here. So what I found was that sellers who have a broker, they at least have some of this. They come down to earth for their valuations. Totally. And, and, yeah. Uh, they have a better. The broker. Their broker has
0: done the hard work of showing them what the realistic valuation of their business is.
1: Yeah, and they're you also hope. motivated <laughs> to sell.
0: You said what? Well, yeah. I said you hope that their broker has done that done done that work. uh, He or she's done their job. Yeah, yeah, if they've done their job. Yeah, right. Right. But also, it's just the whole dynamic of like when somebody has is in has put out there that their thing is for sale. You you as the potential buyer have a little bit more leverage than if you're going around to all these business owners who aren't thinking about selling. And, then, and they're just like, well, sure, make me an offer. Like you automatically have less leverage and you have to make them an enticing offer, presumably. Yeah. Um, if they haven't been thinking about something. So, cool. All right. So you, now, I, remind me, you actually went down the path on a few businesses and it, that you really wanted and it didn't work out. Give me, give me quick details on one or two of those stories.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, one was... Um, one was a, a, a concrete um, a company I, I founded. It had an acceptable asking multiple from my perspective, um, try to put an offer on it. The broker just ghosted me and then came back months later and was like, uh, oh, yeah, we raised the price and we went after somebody else who could do blah, blah, blah for the financing. I don't remember exactly what what all he said. That one stung. Uh, really, really, really bad pretty early. And the and another one that stands out in my thinking was a landscaping company. There was a landscaping company that I wanted to purchase um, that uh, I didn't want to pay more than uh, 1.275 uh, for the business. Based on the math that I could see, that was the high end of what I wanted to pay for the business. I think they were trying to sell it for 1.5 or something like that. Um, and the guy, the, the seller called me a nuisance because I was trying to ask him a question about the ad backs. I was like, hey, I need your, 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 your help here to, to explain to me what these ad backs are so that I can substantiate this valuation that you're asking me to to pay. <laughs> and he said, you're a nuisance. You're probably going to drive my people away at all, <laughs> all these other things. I was like, OK, well, fine. I'll, I'll back away from this deal. Apparently, yeah. this is not a good fit for me. Um, yeah. and, and there has to be that chemistry between the buyer and the seller. And um, how, how
0: was, dare you ask about a, 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 some questionable ad backs, <laughs> exactly, which is
1: the qu- same question that the bank is going to ask for the right. Yeah. But anyway, I, uh, a, a year later, that broker contacted me and said, oh, yeah, Bruce, uh, you know, that the, the, that business is for sale now for eight uh, fifty. And I was like, man, I dodged a bullet with that one. So the, the guy actually sold the, the business for uh, a, or, or was selling it, putting it back on, on sale for eight fifty dollars instead of the uh, 1.5. And I was fighting him for 2.1.275. Yeah. So it's yeah. just, it is what it is.
0: So it, through all of this, Bruce, you, you talked about persistence and we talked about how you how you were on a, coming out of this rut in your career. Were you feeling discouraged in the search? Your, your girlfriend tells you that she's so impressed with how hard you're working, even though you're not actually gainfully employed. Right. Um, you and I both know, of course, that you're, you're working toward a great uh, outcome. But it, it might be hard for somebody who doesn't understand search to see that or understand that. Um and and you just hear, I hear from my guests and, and from the ecosystem so often that search is extremely lonely, extremely mm-hmm. demoralizing, filled with rejection. Um, you know, it's it's basically it's it's a lot like sales, like yeah. a sales effort. Um so, so how's your head space during this search, during this very frustrating search? On the heels of a very frustrating professional uh you know, three yeah. years. Yeah, years. I mean, I
1: think my my headspace got better. I mean, the the headspace was the worst after the second job loss. After the the third one, I was like, okay, these people are idiots, and I just don't fit <laughs> in anybody else's company. That's what I kind of just walked away from under with with the understanding of. And so I knew, like, I knew there was something out there for me. I just didn't know what. I didn't know where it was. And like, plus, also, like I told you, I had a dream. For whatever reason, when I first started to consider search fund uh, doing a search fund. I had a dream one night that I was pulling my car into a parking space and whatever business I had bought in this parking space was in the middle of, of the hood somewhere. Um, and, and, and it just so happened that the business that I bought is, is kind of in the middle of the hood (laughs) of Richmond. So, uh, so I felt like I was on the right path. Um, Uh once I kind of got up there, I was like, okay, this is where I need to be. And, and then actually after that, it's just a matter of, Sort of like I told you in the pre-call, it's like it doing this is just like taking a full court shot and it's just a numbers game. You put up as many shots as you can in a certain amount of time and eventually something goes in um, if you do it the right way. Now, you want it to be a shot that you actually want to make because you don't want to overpay for a business, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but that's that's really kind of how it is. So, I mean, I think. My headspace when I started the search was much better. Um, Mm -hmm. I still had like a lot of the bitterness from all the crap that happened to me, but I was just like, okay, well that happened to me. And I kind of have to move past that and go forward to, 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 to getting my own business.
0: How long had you been searching when you found Lux out? And then once you found Lux out, how long did it then take to close on the business?
1: Yeah. so I started my search in, uh, November of 2018. It was November. It was no, I'm sorry. I really started it in 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 January of 20, 2019, like said. Okay. Um, found Lux Out in July of 2019. And, okay. And didn't close on Lux Out until February of
0: 2020.
1: Okay. So, all so six all, months of yeah.
0: Six months of searching, uh, and kind of just searching without really anything going anywhere very serious. Then at month six or seven, you find Lux out and then another six or seven months before close.
1: Yeah, because it took a long time to negotiate. Uh, it took like I had my signed LOI around, I want to say Thanksgiving of mm-hmm. 2019. Um, and then that's that. And then I presented that to the bank and then it took a long time for them to uh, get all their ducks in the, in, the, in the row so that we could uh, we could close on the business.
0: So can you, can you tell us about Luxout? What, what, t- tell us a little bit more than I said in the intro about what it does, yeah. and then tell me about the size of the business and, and any of the numbers that you can share on your uh, on its revenue and your offer for it, et cetera.
1: Sure, sure, sure. So Luxout has been around since the 40s um, in some form. It started out as a company called Tuckahoe Drapery Cleaners, um, used to clean curtains, um, but now is in the business of manufacturing uh, stage curtains, um, for, for theaters. And our industry is very, what's attractive about our industry is that it's kind of geographically set segmented. Uh, the nearest competitor to the North is in Pittsburgh, the nearest competitor to the South. There are actually a couple of competitors in the, in North Carolina and one in South Carolina. Um, one in Georgia that I can think of. There's several in Florida, but we kind of mainly have a pretty good foothold on the Mid Atlantic, because there's only so much space in this business, and if you mm-hmm. don't know what you're doing when you're making stage curtains and when you're bidding them, you can very quickly drive yourself out of business. I, I actually saw somebody do exactly that, uh, even in my short tenure uh, here. So the bulk of the business is the stage curtain business. We do it for new construction and we do it for the for replacements. Um, we have some things that are that, that are key differentiators from us from everybody else. For one, we have an online quote tool for uh for our stage curtains. Um so any person can go up there and if they know the dimensions and the specs of exactly what they want, they can do that. My salespeople use the online quote tool and then they quote it for the customer. Um, we are, to my knowledge, the only company in our industry that has something that transparent. Um, the other thing that we have that kind of differentiates us is that uh we make our curtains in a certain way that makes them safer and they look better. The folds or the pleats stay in the curtain from top to bottom, uh, in a way that's a little bit better than, than everything else that I've seen that's out there. Um, so that's sort of the key differentiator there. Then there's another part of the business where we make shades, um, um, window shades. We have a high end line of, of window shades called Luxile shades, and we have a separate website for, um, for that. Um, let's see, what else should I say about the business? Uh, we are, for in terms of revenues, revenues are in the seven figures. I plan to grow it substantially, um, but hey, that the the pandemic came and definitely changed some of those plans. But still, we're back in the we're now we're back in the place where it seems like we're we're on the path to growth again uh, as a company. Just from what we've seen with our orders, the, I wanted a business that was hard to mess up. Um, mm-hmm. It was very important to me. And one thing I also like about this business is that it has a long um, sales cycle, right? Like, so a school district may or a a construction company may decide to purchase their stage curtains two years in advance, Um, and then so the order's placed for that that amount of time. That's the long end, the high end of it is that long, but it may be shorter, especially for a school district. Um, And then we may make them, and then it will take a certain amount of time for us to make them and bill them and collect on the cash and everything like that. So even with the disruption of the pandemic, we still were, were all right. and We had our best year in 2020 uh, as a company, um, even though our orders uh, were down uh, substantially. And I don't think that's unique to us as opposed to anyone else. And then in, in 2021, we came out all right and crawled full, forward. Um, and now in 2022, it looks like we're looks like we're going to be in a really good spot uh, for growth um, as a company, as far as, uh, what I paid for the company, I, I gave you the number of what I was talking about for the, um, uh, for the landscaping company. So you, you could tell that I was looking for companies in the, that were less than 2 million in purchase price. Uh, mm-hmm. that was just because of what I could afford at the time based off of my savings. Um, but I got this company, the, the cool thing about it, I, I got this company at a, at an awesome multiple. It was uh, when, when it was all said and done, it was at a two, uh, two times EBITDA uh, for a company that had been growing uh, pretty substantially. And I think part of the reason I was able to get that, actually, the main part of the reason I was able to get that is because I looked in places that other people didn't look, right? I think um, for larger targets, everybody's looking at larger targets, for one. And then two, um, uh, the broker had reported... Uh, cash flow, but didn't really understand that the cash flow that he reported was, wasn't was even EBITDA, it was the net income. And it was the net income after the previous seller and his wife um, paid themselves a salary. So mm-hmm. I, that's how I was able to get it at such an aggressive. And because of my digging and my persistence, I was able to find, oh, this is like a great deal. And I can't believe anybody else, everybody, anyone else passed over. Oh, over this deal, uh, based on the terms that, uh, that I was able to get it for.
0: So, so the broker underpriced cool. the business essentially.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. By, by a lot. And what that did for me was it made it so that the moment I purchased the company, my net worth went up substantially, um, which was great. Especially, well, you're, you're kind of like your business.
0: equity. You, meet, you meet, had immediate equity because exactly. you know, in theory, you could you could flip the business and, yeah. and turn a profit. So,
1: yeah,
0: you now, so that maybe the broker didn't didn't do the best job of, of evaluating the business, um, valuating valuing the business. The guy, the owner. From what I understand from our pre-call, was it was a businessman? So yeah. I assume he had some sophistication, and he he you would have thought that he might have caught the fact that he was selling a good thing for too
1: cheap. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think I, I that's, to this day I still cr- scratch my head about that. Um, I think he was just more at a place where he wanted something in his lifestyle as opposed to worrying about what he sold the business for. Yeah, um, he wanted to make sure he left it. he wanted to make sure he left his baby and his staff with someone who was really going to care for it. And I think that that's, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is when my, my business is very, it's not very CapEx heavy, but it's very Mm -hmm. labor intensive because it's Mm -hmm. very labor intensive and there's such this long sales cycle and this long cycle to collecting cash. There's a large portion of the balance sheet that is dedicated just to working capital. So when he offered the price, I think when he did the initial offering price, he was thinking this is the price of the business without the working capital. He kept the receivables and the cash and all these other things. And what I did was I said, well, I need all the receivables and this amount of cash because I don't have that much money (laughs) and I need you to uh, to to leave that much in here um, uh, with the business. And I'll go a little bit over asking price um, on these on these terms. And he accepted it.
0: Ah, so you, you, you just got, you got a big chunk of working capital without it affecting the purchase price too much. Nice. And you talk about growth and wanting to grow the business, um, but you also mentioned like, you know, there's only so many this market is only so big. There's only so many curtain stages that need curtains. So when you talk about growth, um, are you thinking acquisition of of you know the, the Pittsburgh company or the North or South Carolina company, or are you just talking about organic growth? Are, are there are there a lot of stages going up uh, in the Mid Atlantic?
1: Yeah, there's not. It's not that there's there's a bunch of stages going up. But I mean, you think about it though. Think about it this way: a school district goes and they build a school. That school is probably going to be around, let's say, 75 years in that 75 year time. Their, their curtains are going to last them maybe 15 years a pop. So that's five times where they have to replace their curtains mm-hmm. per school. Mm-hmm. And if you multiply that times all the schools in a given area, there's quite a bit of opportunity uh, uh, for the replacement market, even if they're not building a bunch of new schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. But in terms of the way that we 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 grow, we have a culture at Lux out of being significantly more aggressive uh, at pursuing the business. We don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we that were pests or, or anything like that. But but we will. You're most persistent. Companies, yeah, we're persistent. <laughs> most of the companies will wait for the business to come to them. We don't wait. We do go after every if the customer chats us. Does anything? We are going after. Um, uh, after that lead and going to chase it down um, to really make sure that we can do everything right by the customer um, and turn it as many of those leads into sales as possible. So um, that's work. That's what they did before. Uh, I don't, and I think the challenge that a lot of others in our industry have is that there are a little bit more because because they've been around for a while, it becomes easier to, to be more complacent, complacent with the business yeah. model. Um, yeah. but
0: just take orders yeah, rather than pursue new ones. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And and we don't uh, we just don't have a culture to do that. So there's a, a an element of organic growth that goes into just doing that that has been proven before. Um, and it very much aligns to how the focus of how I did business when I was a product manager analyst at, at Geico. Um, it's the thing that differentiated Geico from other insurance companies growing organically in an old industry like that um, the other thing is if I'm able to acquire something that's that already exists I'm more than happy to do that I mean I'm, I would love to have those conversations with anybody um, in the industry um, and I would have to uh, of course make, make sure that it's under acceptable terms uh, for both them and for uh, and for myself um, but but yeah that's that's how we will plan to grow and we'll see we'll see exactly what happens everybody has a plan then you get punched in the face that's what Mike tyson said but well uh, but I'll punch you, you've down. been in the,
0: <laughs> yeah you've been in the business for two years now two years next month yep so um wh- 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 how has it been compared to um you know what you hoped and, and expected before you actually bought the business and got in the seat matter of fact, I found you because you posted this great um, essay on SearchFunder uh, shortly after you bought the business, talking about you know what it, what, what that transition was like. Yeah. Uh, it was really great, but that was very it shortly was after you'd gotten in the yeah. seat. We're now you know a year and a half or almost two years later. So yeah. so talk to me about how how things are compared to what your expectations had been.
1: Yeah, it's it's the I will put I would say these two years have been the best of times and the worst of times uh, simultaneously. They've been the best of times because. The money I made my first year, I it was more it, it made up for all the crap that happened in the other years of my life where I just wasn't making. It was blew my mind, um, and and that was that was great, um, and to be able to be preserved for the business to be not just preserved but preserved and thriving uh, during that mm-hmm. time that that was really really way more than what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why when you pr- purchase an existing business, you want something that is growing and doesn't require a ton of CapEx in order to continue to grow. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's one thing that a lot of searchers um, should probably give some attention to because um, I, I really lucked out when when it when it came to that. And it's been the worst of times just because, I mean, the orders fell substantially, like I said, um, during that year, even while we were doing very well. So um and I won't say the, the the exact percentage but it was it was a it was a lot and it was enough to to be to be felt um I would say that second quarter of 2020 we like it was nothing was happening it was sort of like we were just uh, a a ship without a paddle at certain points and then it kind of came back and then it came back full force um and then the other thing that I would say is like there's a lot of opportunity in certain markets that we that, Previously, we had sort of dipped our toes in and now we're diving right in um, to and I won't go into what those markets are unless the competitor hear me and and do exactly what I'm doing. Um, But what we we think we found the secret sauce um, to to entirely new markets. Yeah, to entirely new markets and to uh, growing um, the business substantially. I wouldn't be surprised if we I don't know what this year is going to hold, especially with the with the Omicron variant but if it would not surprise me at all if we grew 25 to 50 percent this year um, which is really good growth, especially in the old boring industry uh yeah. like, like my own
0: the size of the business in terms of employees what what is what does your staff look like? How many folks?
1: Oh, yeah about 25 folks 25 yeah
0: yeah oh that's and, and so the manufacturing is done by your staff or it's outsourced.
1: Yeah, it's done by us. Yeah, we make it right here in Richmond. Um we have uh, four sewers, two shade makers. Uh in Richmond, we have two salespeople, two customer service people, two installers, and then we have staff in um in uh in Texas and North Carolina also. So we try to cover, we try to dominate the South as much as possible. So.
0: And why is this not something that an industry that's been outsourced to China?
1: Oh, yes, yeah, because it's next to it impossible to do. That's a good question. Yeah, and that was, just one of the, that was one of the questions I had when I was looking at the business. It's the lead time of... So every stage is different. So in order to do our business, you have to have someone that not only pursued the lead, but actually went out to this, st- usually, I mean, you can have, you can train a, a, a drama teacher to measure, you can walk them through how to measure a curtain. I mean, uh, measure a stage, but usually you want a professional out there who says, oh no, we need this kind of fabric, we need this, this is the structure, this is how it's laid out, this, that, the other, blah, 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 and then they can send the specs to the workroom. Now, if the workroom that made it was in, were in China, <laughs> that would be a nightmare scenario Unless they could get everything perfectly uh, done, right? Like everything that's in that person's head is right on the paper. And mm-hmm. there isn't much need for back and forth communication, for clarity, for things that can go wrong, all these other things. And if it came like from the from East Asia, they could make it. But if they do, did something wrong, like, say, for example, they made the curtains three inches too long. Well, yeah. then that has to go all the way back to China yeah. And, yeah, and then come back and then hope that it works again. And so because we're closer to our customers um, and every stage is different, that's why I have a business. Yeah. It's, it's pretty hard yeah. for it. It'd be difficult for like an Amazon to come in and do my business or 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 uh, anybody else that you can think of just because of the nature the because of that nature of it.
0: It's so sort of custom, and there's so much back and forth, and yeah. there's so much room for error. Yep. Yeah. So just give us a sense, just roughly, I know there a lot of variation. How much does your typical school auditorium stage
1: curtain run? Yeah, it, it varies. Um, it depends on the size of the stage. I mean, for an elementary school, you're probably looking, most elementary schools, um, to replace their curtains is probably going to be four grand, it's my guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to put the track up and, and do all that other stuff. It's going to be significantly more expensive because putting track, which is what the curtains hang on, is a little bit harder. And def- and it's certainly harder to do, to do the rigging, which is done at new construction. Um, But uh, as the school gets bigger, middle schools will be, we'll say 7,500 to 8,000, something like that. And then high schools are probably going to be, usually, excuse me, high schools are probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, 10 to, um, 10 to Mm 17,000 depending on the size of the high school and the number of curtains and things like that. Um, and then larger auditoriums, they can become very huge. You can spend, you they, we just did a job, uh, in, in Richmond, actually, uh, uh, we just did a job at the main street station, um, -hmm. in Richmond, uh, which is where the, uh, the, the governor elect is going to have his, I guess, he's swearing his, or his party or something like that. He's having some event there in a, in a few days once he gets sworn in. Um, the guy who did all this upset in the politics of the country and everybody was looking at Virginia. Um, yeah. But he uh, he's doing it there. And that was a, I won't say the price of that job, but that was significantly more expensive than the most expensive high school I've ever, we've ever done. So it just varies like that.
0: So when we see that guy giving his speech on TV and in the background is a pulled curtain or maybe a closed curtain, we'll know where it came from. You will know exactly where it came from. Yep.
1: That came from us.
0: The, uh, a couple more questions for you, Bruce. Sure. Um, when I talked to you the other day, you were working from home as many of us are, but you actually made a point of saying that you try to, you really try to create some distance between yourself and the business because, you know, you, you've just got the approach, as, as we all should, of working on the business rather than in the business. Talk to me about how you, how you approach that. And also um, weave in just like your first six months in the business because while many acquisition entrepreneurs want to buy a business and eventually be working on it rather than in it, they find themselves, at least during the transition period, working very in the business. Did you have to do that? And just talk me through all of that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Short answer to your last question is I definitely had to do that. I actually went out on and did some installs uh, of stage curtains myself because during the labor shortage, we couldn't get guys to come to work to save our life. Uh, We couldn't even get people to accept job offers. I would come in above other offers and they still would go and pick somewhere else. It was it was rough. So I had to get out. And it, has that
0: passed? Is is that over? Is yeah. the labor labor yeah, shortage over
1: for you? Oh. Yeah. That well that part is the worst of it is done. We have a good team. Uh actually have a couple of good team of installers. Um now and and we're in a much better place. But that was that was probably the roughest part of 2021. And I I'll, I'll say this and then I'll answer your other your your your, your question um mm-hmm. about working in the business versus on it more broadly. But um, Mm -hmm. just to give you some perspective, we had in a given month, we need to do a, a certain amount of business. We had a dry first three months of 2021. And then the fourth month in April, that month came and it was like everything fell out of the sky because now all these like school districts, they knew what they were going to do, whether they were going to let kids back in and things like that. And so everybody's focus wasn't on COVID. And the one thing I like about our business is, regardless of whether, (laughs) <laughs> regardless of whether you get stage curtains now or next year, you're still going to need them at some point. Um, so the demand doesn't really go away of eva- and evaporate. So we had a, just the heavens fell from, from an order's perspective that month. Um, uh, but at that same time, we just didn't have anybody to install them. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was a very tough spot. Um, but I make sure not to do that on a regular basis, like at least, One day a week, I need to just time to just sit by myself and in quietness and think. Maybe I'll uh, go play a video game or something, whatever it is to kind of think about the problem, do something else, come back to it, and try to have some sort of uh, solution uh, for it. I was able to do that a lot more the first year, Um, and now, fortunately, I mean now that I'm not necessarily installing as much um, as I was before. Uh, I'm able to do that again and take a step back. But it's, it's critically important. At some point, you're going to have to go in and do that. One thing I would suggest to a new CEO, and I'm still having to do this with my people, and getting some pushback from them, um, is every job, especially every critical job, and you won't really know which jobs are really critical, but every job you should have some sort of desk documentation of this is how you do the job in case the person decides to up and leave or um, they get COVID and you're out uh, for a very long period of time, and the work still needs to go go on. Like you need that for the sake of your business continuity. So um, I think that's the really- were their
0: processes written down by the previous owner, or have you had to write those from scratch?
1: Oh, we had to write those from scratch. I was actually he's a very controlled man, but I was very surprised that he didn't have that uh, before. Yeah. But I think that could be just because of my experience as a CEO. COVID has shaped my experience as a CEO. So I think yeah in, in term, in very real terms of something that he never had to think about when he was in my seat. So I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, did I answer your questions? I want to make yeah, sure I did. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: Bruce, had you ever managed people before in your previous jobs? Had you been a manager?
1: Yes. Uh, yes, I did. I, I, I had, but they were always like, the folks that I kind of managed and oversaw were all accountants. Um, never had to manage a sales team before, uh, never had to manage an operations team, um, before. And that all is different, but it's not prohibitively different. I feel like Darden prepared me pretty well for it in general.
0: I assume you also had never managed as many as 25 people before when you managed a team of accountants, it was probably just a small handful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The biggest, So how how
0: was that when you rolled in day one? looking at 25 faces, looking back at
1: you? It was challenging. I think it was challenging because everybody was on edge. Uh, I wasn't, because I was just like really calm in my life experiences and maybe just like say, okay, well, whatever happens, I'll roll with the bunches. But uh, people were really on edge, multiple folks crying, people blowing up at each other. I mean, just in the first week, it was, I, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't prepared for emotionally what that was going to be like. I think when you start out in a business as a new owner um, and CEO, especially a small business, it's more like a family. And you have to be very prepared. Um, you just have to be prepared because people bring all their childhood issues to their family and they bring their family issues to work. And so you're, you're just going to sort through a lot of that. Um, and he said this and she said that, can you believe that you you just kind of have. And to, so
0: did, did you have to get in there and kind of solve those problems or did you just kind of let them dissipate on their own and kind of let, let the, you know, let, let things calm down kind of on their own as people adjusted to the new reality?
1: Both. Um, it's yeah. For some, you some, felt it, felt some it of them warranted me, me solving them. Other ones, I, I said this is this does not affect the bottom line of my company. This is you all need to figure this out as adults. So it's it, it's you just kind of use your judgment um, yeah. there. But it wasn't there was never a one size fits all solution for that.
0: Two more questions for you, Bruce. Both both personal. Sure. The, so just to, just to um, highlight something that you said earlier about the money aspect. So. This you you said basically like you were just kind of amazed that you bought this business and in in the first year you you not only paid yourself a salary but the business also generated uh, I'll, let's say six figures in in mm-hmm. cash flow, um, and so you go from a guy an unemployed guy to a guy who not only not only has a healthy salary I assume is managing twenty five people but is also now the owner. It's it's not yours fully yours for another ten years, assuming mm-hmm. you have the typical SBA loan. But essentially, the owner of a business generating six figures a year in profit. Do I have all that right? And 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 yep. and, and if I do, would you just reiterate how cool that is?
1: Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 hella cool, man. I I think it's I'm living a dream of my, of of previous seasons of my life, and that's one of the things I always told myself when I would go home and complain to my wife, is like, oh, babe, I got to come over here and babysit and all this other stuff, and. And, and then i get the reminder, this is exactly what, what you asked for (laughs) in in another season of your life. So it's, but it's, but it's, it's great so far, man. I I wouldn't trade it for the world. I I love. And and
0: do you feel like acquisition entrepreneurship, that kind of was the path that was waiting for you when you were going through those frustrated years of getting laid off or fired or whatever? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I should have done this along. Well, I mean, I think I did it at the right time for my journey. Cause I mean, if I had done it prior to when I did it, I probably would have been a more arrogant. But, uh, but it, yeah, I, I didn't understand how realistically doable it was. And to me, it was always like the, the whole thought of an, of a search fund. Okay. That's what the, that's what the, the kids at, uh, HBS and Stanford do. That's not what a, yeah I mean, Darden's a good school. It's a very, it's a good, very good school, but it's like, oh yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't do that. Especially not and especially coming from Darden. I probably was probably, I don't know for certain, but I probably was one of the least wealthy <laughs> folks among my classmates. So I, it really, uh, I wouldn't have thought that I was going to even be able to do something like that. Um, but it all worked out, uh, pretty beautifully. And, and the returns you get, I mean, I know a lot of people kind of are scared of, of the, of, of the SBA notes and everything like that, but the returns, if you do this thing the right way, you may get, you may legit get a, four or five hundred percent return and have to pay six percent on the capital and that Mm -hmm. difference you keep Mm -hmm. so it's it if so if you find something that's relatively stable just go for i to to me i think it's worth it to just go for it Mm -hmm. so
0: Great. Last question, Bruce. In your in your uh, post that I referred to earlier on SearchFunder, you made a point of saying that here you are in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Which during the Civil War was the capital of the Confederacy. Yeah. You're an African American man. Yep. And you just you just made a, a very personal and very historical uh, point about all that. Do you, can you can you kind of reiterate that for
1: the audience? Sure. Absolutely. I would love to. So I'm from Hampton, Virginia. Hampton, Virginia is where Point Comfort is. It's where the first Black folks came um, to this continent in 1619. Uh, It's a family called the Tucker family. So that's the place I was born. The place that I have my business is in the capital of the Confederacy. These people made an entire country to keep people like me from doing what I'm doing right now. And I just feel elated, (laughs) (laughs) elated, elated, elated that I'm able to do that and realize the dream. Uh, because I feel like that's just what was missing before. I mean, it, there are some folks that are that are good allies and there are other folks who want to try to disrupt and, and destroy uh, people uh, like me. And regardless of whatever the case if if, if my family has their own wealth bases, we don't have to really worry about that. So um, uh, hopefully if if uh, if it works out uh, when myself and my wife have children, we won't have to. Uh, they they won't have to necessarily go work for someone else. They can if they want to, but they won't have to go and mm-hmm. beg somebody not to fire them three times when they know they're mm-hmm. qualified to do uh, work. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's that's really powerful. And do you, is there any um, thing that in your search that as an African-American man, you felt made your search different than it would have been for somebody like me? And that, and that maybe somebody else in the audience who's black or person of color listening to this should know?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think and I sort of talked about it earlier. I think the guy with the lawn care, I mean, with the uh, landscaping company, when he called me a nuisance. I think he just wasn't used to black people asking him questions that he didn't want to answer. And he yes. had some sort of hostility toward that. And you're going to run into that in this world. It's just if you're whether if you're anything other than a white male, you're certainly going to run into it. And if you're a white male, you're probably to some extent going to run into it. But you're just going to be more keenly aware of it. Uh, keenly aware of it. I mean, you made up a Mm. word, Uh, but you'd be more keenly aware of it if you're anything um, uh, other than that. But you just take it and with strides, keep it going and don't let it make it. Hopefully it makes you better and not bitter uh, when it's Mm. all said and done. So I, I, if anybody, uh, if anybody wants to lament about their, their woes uh, of going through that experience, I'm more than happy to, uh, to be an ear uh, to, 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 yeah. To encourage somebody through, through that rough patch.
0: Well, perfect segue. How can people reach you, Bruce? What's the,
1: what's the best way to get a, get a hold yeah. of you? Best way to reach me is B van. So Bruce van, B uh, V a N N at L U X O U T.com. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from other searchers. This has been really uh,
0: a fun interview, Bruce. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Thank you, Will. You have a good one.
0: You too. Bye-bye.